country of Indonesia. Do they like me in Indonesia? 100% confident Indonesia will prevail. Hello and welcome to Talking Indonesia. My name is Gemma Purdy from the Australia Indonesia Centre. In early March, as the pandemic quickly spread across the world and its neighbours rushed to close their borders and economies, Indonesia's Minister for Health, Tarawan Agus Putranto, told local media he couldn't understand what all the fuss was about, describing the coronavirus as less dangerous than the flu. Indonesia did not record its first official case of COVID-19 until the 2nd of March and would not issue its PSBB or lockdown orders until the end of the month and in some provinces even later. Meanwhile, since January, epidemiologists at the University of Indonesia and from other institutions across the country were working behind the scenes to convince the government that the pandemic posed a major threat to the country's inadequate and fragile health services and infrastructure. Fast forward to June 2020, as lockdown restrictions are being eased and official numbers of cases and deaths ascribed to COVID-19 remain well below those earlier predictions and estimates and yet trend upwards. Why are Indonesia's case numbers relatively low? Is the testing regime and data analysis adequate? Have the government's PSBB or social distancing regulations been successful? And now that those restrictions are being lifted, what does the future hold? My guest today is Dr. Pandu Riono, an epidemiologist from the Faculty of Public Health at the University of Indonesia and a member of the team of researchers who carried out some of the earliest modelling of the pandemic. Good morning, Pak Pandu. Thank you for joining us. Okay, good morning, Mbak Jema. Pak, can you start by describing the current situation in Indonesia. And I also wonder if you can make a comment about your own modelling that you and your team at UI have done or did earlier in the pandemic and tell us how this is reflected in the current data. Okay, when I did the modelling, maybe in the early March, it's actually that the modelling is not to predict the accurate number of what will happen when you're dealing with the pandemic in Indonesia. But at the time is I just modeling the uh, some scenario that would happen if you ha have no interventions or you have some interventions and stronger interventions. And I just modeling to estimate the number of people who has infected, but who need hospitalization. But that's why I didn't make any prediction on the COVID infections, the number of COVID infections, but I just estimate the number of COVID infection who need hospitalization. Mm -hmm. Why we did like that? Because uh, the reason is we want to match the possibility or the strengthening health capacity. If the worst scenario happened, do we have the capacity of our healthcare can accommodate and then can also take care of the patients and uh, prevent for the another death. Because if you cannot prevent the infection, at least we can prevent the death. And mm -hmm. then we realized that if we didn't do something, it's become very worse in Indonesia. And then we should do something. The, the stronger uh, interventions uh, like social distancing approach and conducting testing and tracing and isolation, it means that we can flatten the curve. 
this is related with the flattening the curve that the model that already done by uh, our college in Imperial College in London that uh, helping the health system. We try to follow their logic and then we match with the, our capacity in our healthcare and then we present it to the Ministry of Planning Bureau and also the President Office staff that this is you do something. If not, uh, there's so many will be happen uh, in the current epidemic. And then they realize and then at the time they allocate the money, the hospital, buying testing kit, buying ventilator and strengthening uh, the capacity for healthcare. Mm -hmm. It means that we are glad that we are in the position that can uh, deliver our model to advocate, actually, to advocate the governments to do something. Because at the times we realized in the January, February, you know, the governments and many ministers of health, especially, doesn't taking care the potential pandemic will be happen in Indonesia. Denial is very, very bad uh, decisions, making us late to respond. You know, even even that, our response is very late. Started the social distancing measure uh, started in in the end of March. Mm -hmm. If we do uh, earlier, it might be a better now situations in Indonesia. And that's the the modeling that we had. We don't care about the, the modeling is accurate or not, that because uh, that's not our purpose. Because at the time, we don't know the situation itself. We just based on our assumption. We realize that our assumption is wrong. That's why in April, we tried to modify the updating the modeling. And because we want to have another modeling also to answer the impact of people movement. Because... Mm -hmm. Even uh, we know that social distancing of stop the people movement, but in Indonesia it's a very different situation because they think that uh, people movement is, is okay as long as they stay. It means the transportation is still going on and also very, very loose about the social distancing approach. And mm -hmm. that's why we modeling, do we have do you know that in Indonesia we have Modik? Modik is go hometown during Ramadan and mm -hmm. you know this. This yes. is uh, we estimate the big number exodus of people will happen mm. if we don't prevent it. But government doesn't think that dangerous because there's no evidence. Actually, they have we have evidence from Wuhan experience. That Wuhan experience is the explosions of pandemic occur after or. Uh, lunar New Year's. It means that that's something also related. And then we make another modeling to answer what if the Moody do they increasing the cases. And then the modeling show that. And if around half of people that last year they Moody, what will happen? And then we show the increasing. We saw the increasing number is up until 200,000 cases that we expect. If we can prevent this, actually we can prevent this by stopping or banning the mudik. And because this is, will be in the small city in hometown, then the healthcare system is not ready yet to, to accommodate if some people need hospitalization. Then uh, the government banning the mudik. So they followed your advice, but eventually you were able to present enough of this research and modelling and evidence, really, from Wuhan and other places to convince 
them to shift the policy and to implement the PSBB or the lockdown in late March and early April. So congratulations on getting your message through. So we're in a situation currently in Indonesia where the curve has not flattened. Is that right? Yeah, in some area. Uh, And then we realized that nationally it's very difficult to have the concept because actually not all regions in Indonesia have the same magnitude of pandemic. If it's just spreading nationally, it will be uh, very bad uh, because contribute is mostly from Java Islands, you know, and because the people in here is very crowded and uh, the epicentrum started in Jakarta and Sundering area and then move to West Java, Central Java, and East Java. And then we predict regionally. We predict Jakarta, we predict West Java, and also we predict uh, Central Java. Not yet predict for East Java because we don't have access to the real data from from Central Java because we need the access of real access, the daily cases, and actually we cannot rely on the data from national pandemic response. Uh, you need that, that the data itself is very, very rough, you know. Uh, there's so many incomplete data. It means that in Jakarta and West Java, we predict, and then they already uh, they already reached the peak, and then they're now going down. But in Jakarta, maybe still uh, health uh, maybe slowing down now because the mudik, the mudik balik, you know, the written like people from the small city go back to Jakarta and big city uh, because they're working here and they're looking for job in the big city. And then uh, we already predict that. Uh, we predict the, the written back people uh, will be increasing the pandemic in Jakarta or stopping the declining that already done, uh, started from before Ramadan until now is, is very slow declining because the return of back, return back from people from uh, Central Java, uh, from hometown to big city. When did but the in, return start? Was it straight after Lebaran or now yeah, that start, the... Start right. after Lebaran until now. Uh, mm-hmm. Because the banning people going back and they has become increasing in the last week. Right. And the lockdown is now officially lifted in Fort Jakarta and so it will just become more of a, a, <laughs> a flood of people understand that. So can you say a little bit more for me about the data and, you know, you, you're describing it as not adequate. Um, I also note that the WHO, which is very, very careful in how it speaks about, you know, the government's efforts, the Ministry of Health, it's working very closely with and needs to. But they also, in on the data that they present, have a lot of disclaimers and refer to discrepancies or, or weaknesses in the data. So can you tell us a little bit about the data that the government's producing and what you would like to see? Okay. Uh, if you just rely on the daily cases reported by government, uh, you will have mistaken perception because the they just reported the laboratory results. The the laboratory result is sometimes they put in the one day, you know, sometimes it's become very high and then very very small. And this is very difficult because uh, the problem in laboratory capacity 
university Indonesia still weak. It means that uh, most of the sample, specimen sample, is late to be diagnosed. Uh, we estimate, we just analyze the data from Jakarta, and then because we have access the delegates from Governor Anis, and then we estimate the delays, the median is two weeks, and it's getting better now, become only three days, five days. And it means that if we rely on the data, the number of cases they reported today, it might be not the cases of today, the cases of uh, five days ago, and the cases maybe one week ago. Uh, this is a very difficult, this is increasing cases, or just uh, they put the number uh, and then they report it all together in one day. Uh, this is uh, very difficult. We make some solution. Please put the uh, the day when they're taking the swap. I mean, they're taking the swap because it's dangerous to estimate the number like that. And we can we cannot estimate even the the accurate, effective reproductive number based on the daily cases reported by governments. Right. And, and, mm, and what about the rate of testing? What Can you tell us about that? How much testing is happening? And is it PCR testing? Yes, it is PCR testing. We, rel we rely on the PCR testing only, not uh, rapid testing for antibody tests. Mm. And what is the rate? Uh, and in your opinion, does it need to be increased? Uh, is it increasing? Is there more funding going towards providing more testing? Yeah, we. That's why we uh, trying from earlier in March. We criticized the only one laboratory dealing with COVID. Even they denied the, our lab is is good, approved by WSO. But actually, is is very bad. You know, this is using old technology, using the old primary uh, primaries uh, for, for the laboratory to detect the real. COVID-19, they're still using the old uh, coronavirus. That's why in the mm -hmm. first week of January, uh, February, even we already see the COVID suspect, but the the results still negative. It means the negative results uh, because the our uh, method in detecting is very is old, and they just deny and just deny. And after the end of February, they, uh, the maybe uh, WSO or CDC uh, helping to fix the weakness of lab. And then we've and in the first month we got the first cases. But actually, this is very very slow to see that our estimate that there will be increasing number and we hoping they increasing the capacity of lab. You know, actually we have a lot of PCR in this country that's mm -hmm. owned by university, owned by like West Java uh, regional lab that owned by by province and actually is is more uh, new technology. It means that they they can have capacity more than only one unit in Ministry of Health. And even that, they did deny first. After now, it's become increasing, but still dealing with this big country, you know, uh, we need more, we need more laboratory, we need more testing, and it means that we're strengthening our lab capacity. At least in every province or the big, big district, it should be one or two PCR machines to detect more than daily is more than 100, and then the the total should be uh, at least 100,000 can mm -hmm. testing every day. And so, 
Can you say a little bit about the WHO also presents some data and is is this data that you also agree with where they talk about probable deaths that are yeah. associated with COVID-19? What does yeah, that mean? Yeah. What are these probable cases? How is that determined? Yeah, because the lab capacity is very weak, you know. And there's so many people, uh, the suspect people who go to hospital and dead uh, because there's no laboratory confirmation they don't taking as the death of COVID, and then they just they just reported the death of COVID who who have already confirmation from lab. Actually, uh, it's not right, you know, because the overall weakness in the testing cannot accommodate to taking testing for people already in hospital. Uh, this is very bad, you know. Uh, actually, uh, when they already dead. Some people, they don't continue the testing because very, very low capacity. They're just testing the people who still alive. Mm-hmm. And that's why uh, there is big gap between the number that reported by governments and the real, maybe the real, because they exclude the, the death of suspect people and suspect uh, COVID. Uh, we estimate maybe the real death is four or five times the actually then they reported. Right. Wow. This, I guess, is related question. What can you tell us about the numbers of deaths of health professionals? So doctors and nurses and others who, you know, are in close contact with cases. It was quite an alarming number early on in the pandemic in Indonesia. What do you know about that now? Is that trend continued where doctors and nurses are at risk? It decreasing, but still there. Yesterday we have one doctor from Surabaya, from the internal medicines uh, residence. I mean, there is uh, the risk still high. Mm. The risk still high, and especially in the beginning, in the during March, you know, and every day we got uh, one doctor or two doctor uh, become COVID infected and then dead. You know, uh, why this happened? Because if we if the governments rely that pandemic will enter this city, will enter all area in Indonesia, and then they should alarm all the healthcare. Be careful, be alert, and taking care of the possibility of the COVID infections will go to the healthcare, and then you should prevent yourself. You do by using protective equipments, personal protective equipments. And then be ready to have it and then ask for help from government. Government should be distribute all the, uh, the, the need of the protective and then give them training how dealing with this pandemic. This never happened during January, during March, you know, because we are prepared. We, even in the March, we late. We started the end of March. That's why so many doctors doesn't, doesn't have alertness, the possibility, and there's so many people in uh, healthcare actually, and the death of doctor is actually not doing, taking care of the patient, because most of the patient is just another uh, symptom, not the symptom of COVID. It means that many uh, doctors have different symptoms, or, or maybe asymptomatic, or maybe still pre-symptomatic, but they already infectious, and the doctor doesn't realize that. And yes, so, that, so you're you're yeah. linking that directly to the government's slow response. It did That's not issue true. a warning. Actually, actually, they should prevent the 
I mean preparing the alertness of healthcare system. They don't do anything. As an observer, it was quite extraordinary to see that there was, as you mentioned, a denial for quite a long time amongst, you know, even the Ministry of Health and the Minister himself that there was any COVID-19 in Indonesia, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That, that's why in our response in Indonesia currently is the weak system is still in Ministry of Health because the ministry is still there, but he didn't do anything. I mean, he did. He doesn't do anything until now. I mean, the taking or the leadership. You know, maybe he made mistakes, okay, but then he should change the their response to lead the the this response. But we don't know where is he now. Where is he hiding? That's why the president asked the disaster relief organization. I mean, under governments. They call this organization disaster relief body to lead this, to coordinate this response. Actually, it's not every country should be led by Minister of Health. Mm. But in Indonesia, that task was taken away and given to this agency or this new task force. Yes, yes. That's why all the response is like a new experience. <laughs> but actually, in our health system already, Training, many preparing response in avian influenza, you know, because all over the world, even Australia, even US, in many countries, helping Indonesia about the global health security and preparing and simulation. But we don't know where's the knowledge, where the skill that already we practice. Mm. It means that suddenly we do something by doing something trial and error, you know. Yeah, so you're saying that the government still hasn't got a clear plan of attack, that, that they're not taking on board a lot of the best practices that we see, yeah. see internationally. It's true. Right. So what about people like you, Pak? You know, you've become quite outspoken in the media, you're, you're talking about this. So what difference do you hope that it will make that you are speaking out and making these observations and criticisms of the government. Yeah, I every day actually. <laughs> every day I talk with the media and this is very fortunate for me because I'm I'm not independent. I'm 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 in working in academic and I'm not involved in the the national task force. It's fine and it's good because I can speak clearly and speak independently, doesn't have any conflict of interest, just provide some guidance and some, some advice to governments, even not only the national governments, also the provincial governments, even the city governments. And then we just helping them how to strategize, how to to analyze the pandemic situation, what should you do, what after we is the the this social restriction and then by doing what to maintaining the uh, to prevent the second wave of pandemic mm. we need that they confuse because there's no strong guidelines how we prevent the second wave because the mostly uh, pressure is come from economic side you know because you should open this you should open the business you should open the economic activity even they don't care about the situations, pandemic still not yet safe for opening the economic activity. And then I'm, I'm trying to balance this situation because 
if you follow the WSO guidelines, will be you never open the, the business activity until now, still relaxing, but you should strengthening the testing and the surveillance and then the increasing the mass education to people to using masks and using to practice safe behavior, like keep physical distancing and wash your hand. And then if we're doing like that by carefully, step by step, hopefully we can prevent the big second wave of pandemic. You mentioned that there's different responses from province to province. I've seen that lately you were quite complimentary about what was going on in East Java, in the city of Surabaya in particular, which has become another epicenter for the outbreak. What are they doing there that you think is a positive move? Yes, uh, actually I try hard to have communication with governor from East Java, trying to have some contact uh, and then trying to have some contact with Burisma, the Surabaya mayor. And uh, finally, we got a connection with the Burisma and Burisma said, okay, help me, help me. We want to ease the lifting the restriction. Is, is this appropriate time or not? If not appropriate time, how long will be something? That, you know, yeah. she confused. She confused that why she's very, very emotionally and uh, actually conflict with the, the governor, you know, because uh, the situation, she trying to helping people, but there's no uh, guideline many people is criticized or many people just inform not in the appropriate way and then uh, suddenly she accepted my uh, helping and then I just did our college because I'm also college with the relawan COVID volunteer for this uh, pandemic uh, there's many young uh, young student and young uh, fellow young scientists that still doing something most of them in not in Indonesia but they helping with discussing and uh, trying to formulate the activity that should be done by our governments. And then uh, we, we realized that what she did is right because she increasing the testing. That's why we saw the increasing of cases in Surabaya because not the infected is increasing because the testing is increasing. Right. And then... She's helping also the community resilient by helping strengthening the village. They call this kampung. Kampung, the brave village. Kampung, uh, the strong and brave village. And it when they strengthening the social resilience that should be part of this strategy in dealing with pandemic. Because after we leave the restriction, you know, we just rely on the practice of behavior of people to implement using masks, doing uh, preventing uh, behavior. It means that only people can do that because uh, Indonesia is very diverse. You know, we cannot say in Bahasa maybe uh, they confuse what is social distancing, but if they by it could educate them and give the message with the the language or the term they understand in is Java, especially in, in Surabaya, oh, like that, okay, I can do that, okay, you know, why they're doing this, why they should using masks, and then this has never happened, you know, to strengthening the social capacity, the social capital that already there in, in Indonesia, the kampung, the people who live in the airway, RT unit of community, 
if they let them become a main actor of this kind of pandemic response, this will be very, very strong. And it should be, it should be started now or maybe start from, from earlier. Yeah, so from the ground up, like empower the people yes, rather than from the top down. And you're saying because from the top down method, it's not very efficient and there's yeah. lots of yeah, yeah uh, miscommunication. And, and we don't need military, we don't need police, we just need people do something. Right, yes. Okay, so Ibul Rizma is a great example of taking the right actions and... Yeah kind of getting a balance between a, a governmental response, but also bringing in the people. I just want to go back and ask you a little bit more about the testing. I, I wanted to ask, is there any contact tracing happening in Indonesia? Pa? Yeah, and, and that's also Burisma also doing the contact testing. I, I just wondered, wow, wow, she has a good knowledge how to stop this transmission by doing contact tracing uh, with her own language, you know, <laughs> he, he, she explained. And then and we just uh, asking the governor in Jakarta, Mr. Anis and Mr. Ridwan Kamil and also Mr. Ganjar, please do increasing the contact tracing, increasing contacts. If you find one cases confirmed and then you should tracing them at least more than 30 more than 50 possible. And then mm -hmm. trying to have some contact and to trying to testing the contact. And it means that if you can doing that, it means that you are prevent the transmission because if you find the contact also confirmed, then you can isolate them and then you prevent the further transmission, you know. In the last week before the uh, Jakarta lifting the restriction, and the governor asking the health official to at least one puskesmas increasing the target for contact tracing and give them the money and give them the capacity to do the contact tracing to because finally. yeah finally it means that if you see the the increasing number of Jakarta in East Java actually half of them is based on based on the result of contact tracing that's good news but. Globally, we're seeing the lockdowns lifted in countries around the world where there have been significant, you know, outbreaks like India and Iran. These countries are now lifting their lockdowns, as is Indonesia, and we're seeing bike in cases. I know it's asking you to kind of predict where it's almost impossible to do so without the data, as you've explained, but what do you think is likely to happen in Indonesia? How long do you think that the pandemic could possibly last? Never. Never, <laughs> never end? Never stop, yes. Pandemic is long journey. Yeah, so the <laughs> vaccine for you is it's not even a full stop? No, because then also even you have a vaccine, you still uh, 70% should be immunized and get the immune. It means that we have difficulty to find effective and safer vaccine that accepted by people. And especially in Nisa, or we have already many vaccines that, but we have uh, have difficulty to reach 70 or 80% people who need the vaccine can be vaccinated. Okay, it doesn't mean that we don't hope, we don't have any hope. We have already vaccine actually. What is our vaccine? 
because our vaccine is uh, trying to have some protecting behavior. Even we, we want to prevent the death of injury, trade injury. We also promote using helmet, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of a thing that in my mind and then, okay, if everybody using masks when they go out of home and meet with the people, when they uh, go using train, using bus, and any any activity outside door uh, or in, inside door, it's like in go to the mall or go uh, in the meeting. They if everybody if everybody, and then by by combination with the social distance, uh, physical distancing, and also what call is the trying to maintaining the hygiene, is especially your hands. It means that we can prevent very low risk. Mm-hmm. We can maintain inferior. I know this is very difficult. Even even uh, using masks is very difficult. But you know why we are doing, we are living in the risk line. Even we go by plane, you know, that's very risky. But what they do, everywhere in uh, in the airplane, they teach us how to put seatbelt. Even we know 100 times using airplane, they think we don't know. And they making sure and everybody using seatbelt, we should do like that. Right. That the should lead- be part of the, so this new yeah, normal. We should reminder the new behavior, the new behavior. There's no new normal. There's yeah. new behavior. Yeah. Uh, because in Russia, oh, new normal, already, already normal, like before. <laughs> yeah, right. It meant that we don't need much, you know. There's uh, no change, actually. It, yeah, that's, that's why I'm joined the national movement that led by uh, many volunteers to have some national face mask campaigns. We started at uh, the end of the June 27, and then we just promote them from the traditional market. Because traditional markets is never touched by our governments. There's so many people interact. It's very difficult. We have right. 9,000 nationally. We want to promote simple way, promote the face mask and give them a sample of face mask. Right. So started at the places where there is most risk, uh, like the traditional market. That's true. Right. I see. So, but when we talk about a second wave in Indonesia, are we really just talking about the continuation of the first wave? Where do you stand on that? Even first wave, we are not reached yet. Yeah? yeah, we are now nationally still in the in the top, or reaching the top, <laughs> or reaching the peak. You know, hopefully another next week or two weeks will be declining if the testing and then isolations and by doing contact testing and by doing some preventing behavior, they can slow down the transmissions. And then stood going down until July, and then we can even the end July. My prediction is will be okay. I mean that uh, declining, and then you know it's very difficult maintaining this behavior, and the second wave maybe happen, but maybe next year or the end of uh, this year. Mm-hmm. You know uh, because based our survey that uh, do you want still using face mask in the first week of next week and then yes i will use this face mask and then uh, what happened if another month mm-hmm. uh, i'm thinking about that maybe i don't want using my face mask daily you know? yeah so complacency <laughs> complacency 
<laughs> you know, you, this is uh, happened in in human behavior. You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we can we can predict like that. Actually, it's not rocket scientists can predict like that. That's why we should have some strategy like in in your explain. You know, reminder and make happen, and then put uh, this uh, behavior like the new norm. Yeah, and so far, but do you see the government being responsive to that kind of messaging that that you and your colleagues are, are putting out about masks and social distancing? Yes, but not do something like uh, should be educate people. We need scientists to do that, social scientists, communication scientists, to to do the education systematically and make sure the people understand and then follow the the behavior that related after they know the knowledge and know the the risk because some study also show the misperception of the risk still happen it means that we cannot just come on everybody using risk no it's not automatically people will follow like smoking smoking is dangerous and everybody know it smoking is dangerous but many people still smoking in Indonesia proportion of people especially young people smoker is very high you know yeah yeah it means that we should talk seriously now we need more social scientists and communications expert to helping the governments to do the program and also we need also influence people the informal leader yeah globally we've seen in the good cases yeah. in the countries you know yeah. that you have seen that the scientists have yeah. you know had a leading role to play haven't they when it comes to yeah, they become a leader now yeah the epidemiologist about... has become take rest and <laughs> yeah valued yeah exactly yeah. but it's you know the danger is in some in some cases where they have been overlooked so all power to you and to your colleagues as you go about your work and consult with the policymakers and talk to indonesians to communicate the message so good luck and thank you so much for being part of talking indonesia Thank you, Jamie. That was Dr. Pandu Riono from the Faculty of Public Health at the University of Indonesia. Dr. Riono has a PhD from UCLA. His research includes HIV/AIDS, emerging infectious diseases, pandemic diseases research and surveillance, and epidemic modeling. Talking Indonesia will return on the 2nd of July. Remember, you can find the entire Talking Indonesia podcast archive at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog. Subscribe via iTunes so you'll never miss an episode or find us via your favorite podcasting app. Until next time, this has been the Talking Indonesia podcast. Thanks for listening and bye for now.